welcome all of you to the Rock Community Church. We're very, very pleased that you're here. And we are honored that you would come and, and study the Bible with us. We've been studying through the book of Revelation. Would you turn with me, please, to chapter 9 of the book of Revelation? You know, uh, uh, Jeff made mention of uh, this movie, uh, Courageous, is it? Um, and, it's, and it's all about, as this scene showed us, of, of not necessarily how we start off, but how do we want to finish up our, our lives on this earth? How is it that we want to uh, live the final days of our life as we live for the Lord or not? What is it your choice? What is it you desire out of your life? Well, we study through this, the book of, of Revelation. We've come to some very, very difficult passages. We've come to a place in Scripture that talks about a judgment that falls upon earth that, like at no other time on the on the that has been known to mankind. We've said over and over again through this study that the remaining woes, when, when John saw a, a, an eagle flying in mid-heaven, he said in the 8th chapter, the 13th verse, and the eagle said with a loud voice, Woe and woe and woe to those who dwell on the earth. And we learned from chapter 6, verse 10, those who dwell on the earth are those who were just uh, devoid of God, had no no purpose or, or, or desire to know and to love him. It says, because of those who dwell on the earth, the remaining blasts of the trumpet are about to sound. And as we said, these woes are, are going to become more intense with each one. The fifth trumpet was, was bad enough. It brought to mankind suffering, torture. As it said in verse 6 of chapter 9, those days men will seek death and they will not find it. They're going to long to die, but death will flee from them. Well, the sixth trumpet is about to sound here in the ninth chapter, starting with the 13th verse. And it will release four particular demons, we'll see in verses 13 and 14, who will bring forth death. A third of the mankind on this earth will die. And it also will bring forth this particular time in history and in life as it is, will produce a defiance like never before. People who will shake their fists in the very face of God. And what we're going to see is repentance is not found anywhere within this particular chapter or any chapter from the, here on out. Mankind will not repent, but rather they will worship demons and idols and drugs and, and they will follow after their own particular lust, their own particular sins. To me, what, it, what appears to have happened here, for sure, is that the earth now is devoid of the Holy Spirit. He is no longer on the earth. He is in heaven. And the church appears to be gone. We too are with our Lord in heaven. And so uh, verses like Second uh, Timothy 3.16 are no longer relevant. Where it says in Second Timothy 3.16 that all scripture, all that we study here is inspired by God. And it's profitable. Profitable for four things. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Jesus Christ talked about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14 and verse 26. He said, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus said, 
He will teach you all things, and He will bring to your remembrances all that I said to you. Well, what it appears now is that the Holy Spirit is no longer striving with those, quote-unquote, who dwell upon the earth. In other words, defiant unbelievers who refuse to repent. And they will be as evil as evil can be. We're going to read about it and see what it says. And we'll study, though, what we're going to find through this is what I want to close with, and that is that there is great hope. The great hope that you and I have is that God has never, ever lost control. Even though it might appear like it. In, in this world in which we live today, let's, let's face it. It looks like things are running amok. That, that things are out of control. Nations are falling apart. And there's wars, of course, and there's rumors of wars, of course. And it seems to escalate. And it looks as though, who's in control? But what we're going to learn from today's message is that God is still in control, regardless of what it might appear, regardless of what your circumstances might say differently. So let's read and see how this all fits together, reading with, in, in chapter 9, verses 13 through 21. We're not going to cover all these verses. We will, though, in time. But let's just read through them right now so you get a an idea of what is being happening during the sixth trumpet. It says in verse 13, The sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which was before God. One saying to the sixth angel who had a trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they might kill a third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire and of hyacinth and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions. And out of their mouth proceeds fire and smoke and brimstone. And a third of the mankind, a third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. Verse 20 and 21 the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. So as not to worship the demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. In other words, it wasn't simply the demons that are doing harm right now. It was also those who did not die of the plagues who were on the earth who didn't repent of their murder, their sorceries, their immorality, their thefts. The place is evil. The earth is evil. What does that mean to you and me? Why do we study this? What's the reasoning of looking ahead of what is going to happen, the Bible says, in the future. What good does that do us right now? 
I say to you, it does myriads of things that are good. It, it is like Anthony saying that last song, Lord, let us change. Change us from the inside out. And that is the whole purpose of studying the Word of God. So that you and I become changed. Changed people from the inside out. So that, as it says in 2 Corinthians, I think it's the fourth chapter, that, that the outer man is decaying. But the inner man, the inner man, the person within us is being renewed day by day. And the way we become renewed is by the study of the Word of God. By, by allowing the Word of God to speak to our hearts so that we might be transformed into what the Bible wants from you and me. And so I pray that, that what we will, will read here, what we study will will impact us in such a way that we will reach out into the community in which we live. That when we are renewed from within, that people will see there's a difference in their lives. There's a difference in the lives of the people that go to the Rock Community Church. And, and, I, and they might say, I don't know what it is, but there's something different about these folks. And hopefully, what they will see is that Christ is alive within us. And, and when they ask, and if they ask, we can introduce them to our Savior so that they might not, if it is in our lifetime that the church gets raptured, if it is in our lifetime that there will be this tribulation period, that, that we will warn people who maybe reject the Lord now, but maybe, maybe when the 144,000 Jewish evangelists come on this earth and present to them the gospel of Jesus Christ, they might say at all costs, yes, yes to your Savior. Yes to my Savior. That's our purpose of studying this book. To become more and more the men of, and women of God that we can so as to be a, a light, salt to this earth in which we live. Let's pray and let's get into this study. It's, it's very rich, very, very rich. Father, please open up our eyes and our hearts so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Teach us, Father, as only you can. Allow us to hear from your heart. Move me, I beg of you, Father. Move me aside so that, that I will not misrepresent nor will I um, harm anything that you might want to say to any single one of us. That We would hear your heart. We would hear your voice within the very insides of us. That we might be starting to be changed from the inside out. That our souls would cry out. That we would just love you, Father. I want to thank you for this time that we get together. I want to thank you for every person here. Bless them, please, Father. And uh, pray your blessings upon the Panino family, as Jeff reminded us that we will have a service for him this coming Saturday. But, Lord, uh, I mean, I, I must confess, Father, I'm so jealous that he is there with you right now. I, uh, I pray that, Father, we would be able to uh, really honor him and his family this weekend. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I've already been given instructions on what I'm to say next Saturday, so you won't want to miss. It's going to be an altar call time. They want people to come to Christ during his funeral, so we'll see what we can do. We'll try with all of our hearts. At verse 13, what we see firsthand is the Lord's appointed moment in time. It says in verse 13, The sixth angel sounded, I heard a voice from the four horns of the 
golden altar which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound, are bound by the great river Euphrates. The Greek text there literally reads that John heard one voice. In other words, one single solitary voice. Now the voice is not identified. It, it more than likely, in my opinion, and just my opinion, it is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the one who is called not only the Lamb of God, but the Lion from the tribe of Judah. We, we saw that pictured a while ago. I want to refresh your memory over all of this that we've been looking through so as to kind of feel at home where we are here in the ninth chapter. Look back with me at chapter 5, please. Hold your place here. We'll come back, of course, to chapter 9. But in chapter 5, John said that there was a book and someone was to break its seals. And then he said in verse 3 of chapter 5, no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open this book or to look into it. And so he said in verse 4, he began to weep because no one was found worthy to open the book. And then he says in verse 5, there was an elder. Now, we believe now, at least I do, and I pray that you have a feeling that that's the truth, that when it says the elders, that's, that's the new name for the church in heaven, us Christians. The elders who are there, one of them said to me, Stop weeping, John, in verse 5. Behold, the lion, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, and the root of David has overcome so as to open the book in its seven seals. And then John said in verse 6 that he saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, the church, a lamb, not a lion, but a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came. This lamb, the lion from the root, the tribe of, of Judah, the root of David, this Lamb, who is standing as if slain, came, in verse 7, and he took this book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And we said, at that point in time is when the transition of power took place. The time when Jesus said when he was on earth that all authority has been given to me from the Father. This is that moment. This is that time where the authority has been given to Jesus Christ now it's very possible that he is that voice. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, he heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice of thunder come. And if you look ahead at verse, chapter 8, verse 3, it says, Another angel came, stood at the altar, he held the golden censer, much of the incense was given to him that he might add it up to the prayers of all the saints upon the altar which were before the throne. So the second thought about who this one is who, who cries out with this loud voice could be an angel. I don't think it's that important to know which it is. I believe with all of my heart it is Jesus Christ. But who it is does not change the outcome of what's going to take place identifying the source of the voice is not possible, but the location of where it comes from is. Verse 13, back in chapter 9, tells us it comes from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before, the, before God. The four horns were the, the small protrusions we learned in studying about the altar back in the Old Testament. 
were the small protrusions on each of the corner, and they stood for the authority of God. This altar was where the martyred saints came before the Lord and asked for vengeance upon those who killed them. Let's go back and look. Let's remind ourselves. Back to chapter 6 for just a moment. Look at verse 9. When he, the lamb, the one who broke the fifth seal, he, he said, John says, I saw underneath the altar of the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. In other words, those who had come to Christ during the, the tribulation period, they kept the word of God, they were slain because of their testimony. They lost the, their lives. People killed them because of what they believed. Verse, verse 10, They cried out then with a loud voice, and they said, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood upon those who dwell upon the earth, those who were unbelievers, those who killed them? Verse 11 tells us, It was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been. In other words, there were going to be more on earth who were going to come to trust and believe in Christ and they too would be martyred, should be completed, it says in verse 11. Well, what we see from all of this is that in chapter 8, verses 3, 4, and 5, that the altar is no longer an altar of mercy. This altar now has become an altar of God's judgment upon the earth. What they were crying for, how long will you wait until you avenge our blood, is now going to take place, as we've seen it in chapter 8 and now in chapter 9. The vengeance of God is poured out upon those who are unbelievers, those who martyred the believers in Jesus Christ. I said to you, look at chapter 8. Look at verses uh, 3, 4, and 5 in chapter 8. It says, Another angel came, stood at the altar, and he held a golden censer. And much of incense was given to him that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. The prayers were, How long were you going to wait, O God? How long before you avenge our blood, O God? And then it says in verse 4 of chapter 8, The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hands. And the angel, it says in verse 5, took that censer and he filled it with the fire of the altar and he threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder, sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. From now on forward, God's altar of mercy and grace has become an altar of judgment. The angel took the fire on the altar and threw it to the earth and setting in motion the stage for the trumpet judgments to begin which followed shortly thereafter which we are now looking at and studying. Shockingly, from the altar and from the very hand of God which is normally associated with mercy came words of judgment and vengeance. What do we know about God? What do we know from Scripture? We know all of Scripture that, that God is a merciful, gracious, compassionate God. We learn that throughout all of Scripture. But we also learn that He is a, not only a merciful God, but He is a, a righteous God. He, is a, he, will, 
He will pass His judgment. He is a, a patient God and He is a, a God that will keep His covenant, His promises with His people. And we are told a verse in Genesis, the sixth chapter, the third verse. It's very kind of just there. It just, you can just read it and maybe go your way and forget about it. But in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, God says, My spirit will not strive with man forever. I, I really rather you and I not take this verse lightly. Because God is a patient God, there is going to come a time when He will not strive with mankind anymore. We are told in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord God is not slow about His promises, but He is patient towards us. He is not wishing for any of us to perish. He is wishing for every single one of us to come to repentance. But what we see here in the ninth chapter is during the sixth trumpet judgment is, is the time of God's mercy passing. His Spirit is not striving with mankind now forever. The altar of mercy has suddenly become an altar of judgment. And sinful men will have to finally, who have finally and completely rejected God's gracious offer of salvation, now will find that His Spirit will not strive with them. The earth will be filled with evil, vile things will be happening as we are already reading and seeing. A third of the mankind are dead. That, that ought to trouble our soul. That ought to give us reason enough to reach out into our community, reach out into our families, to our loved ones, to those that we care about, and tell them about the wonders of our Lord. I want to show you a place in Scripture that is just telling about all of this. It's, it's in the book of Hebrews. Now Hebrews is to the left. Hold your place here in chapter 9 of Revelation. I want you to see these words for yourself in your own Bible. And you'll go past the book of Jude, 3rd, 2nd, 1st John, 2nd and 1st Peter, James, and then Hebrews. It's just to the left, just a little bit, the 10th chapter. When you get there, I want to read some verses to you that, that I want you to think through on your own. In verse 28 of chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, it says this, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now that's there for a purpose. That we read for a reason. Anyone who has just set aside the law of Moses, the very essence of this, anyone who sets this aside will die without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, we read that so that to make an emphasis about what is written in verse 29. The Bible therefore says in verse 29, How much severe punishment do you think they will deserve? In other words, they who have, verse 29, trampled underfoot the Son of God and have regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant. In other words, they have put underfoot the very Son of God and, 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 and made mockery of the blood that was shed upon the cross by which we were sanctified. And also they have insulted the very Spirit of grace, the very Holy Spirit that lives amongst us. How much more severe? If he says, if you've put aside the law of Moses in verse 28... 
you'll die without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses, how much more severe will it be for those of you who trample underfoot the Son of God, who regard as unclean the blood of the covenant, and have insulted the Spirit of grace? goes on to say in verse 30, We know Him, we know our Lord, who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. And then note verse 31, it's a terrifying verse. It says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a scary thing to realize that one day God's grace will stop for all unbelievers. His judgment will fall and it will fall hard upon all of those who dwell upon the earth. Those who have denied Jesus Christ. It is every reason in the world why you and I need to share our faith. It's every reason in the world why we should live our lives in such a fashion that the people see the light of Christ through us so they can taste the salt, so they can see the difference between good and evil. We must live that lifestyle. We must be changed, as Anthony's saying, from the inside out so people will see there is a difference within our lives. Back to chapter 9 of the book of Revelation in verse 13. The four horns also refer to God's authority. And we see being said in verse 14 to the sixth angel, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. See a couple of things from this. Number one, we see first and foremost that God is in complete control over everything, everyone, no matter who. Secondly, we see that these four angels who have been released are fallen angels, demons. We know this because they, we are told that they were bound. God's good angels are never described as bound. You and I, believers in Jesus Christ, we are free. The good angels of God were not bound because they were there to do His will. So it is for us. We are to live our lives to do the will of God. And we have the freedom to do whatever it is that God has asked us to do, whatever way we want to serve Him. The only thing that can bind you and me up is sin. And we have been given the opportunity to deal with that. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are free. We are as free as could be. But these people, these angels, were bound. In Jude, verse 6, as the angels did not keep their own domain, they abandoned their proper abode. In other words, their proper abode was to be with God in heaven. Our proper place is to be obedient to our Lord. So therefore, it says in Jude 6, He kept them in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of that great day. 2 Peter 2.4 says, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but He cast them into hell and committed them to a pit of darkness reserved for judgment. See, they were held, it says in verse 14, prisoners. They were bound at the great river Euphrates. Now the river Euphrates formed one of the borders in the land promised to Abraham. God promised this land to Abraham way back in the book of Genesis, the 15th chapter, 18th verse. Listen, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, and he said to him, 
To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. But what is unique about the river Euphrates? Well, the river Euphrates separated Israel at that time from her two chief enemies, Assyria and Babylon. Concerning Babylon, this is where God imprisoned the demons or the fallen angels. In Revelation chapter 18, verse 2, it says, Fallen is Babylon the great, and she has become, note this, she has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit. The Lord has kept them in this area imprisoned for this particular time. The Euphrates was one of the four great rivers that flowed out of the Garden of Eden, we learn in Genesis chapter 2, verse 14. It was near the Euphrates that sin began. It was there where the first lie was told. It was there where the first murder was committed. It was there where the Tower of Babel was being uh, constructed. Babel being the origin of false religions. Even to this day, the heresy of Babylon and Babel spreads across the world today. Those that will not preach or teach the very Word of God and fall into heresy, false teaching. Well, it is in verse 15 that we see God's impeccable timing for every single detail. I want you to note verse 15. These four angels, watch. The four angels who had been prepared, been prepared by God for the hour, the day, the month, the year. He released them so that they might kill a third of the mankind. Even though they were even though they were bound, even though they had fallen from God's grace, nonetheless, they still fell under God's divine preparation, His control. He kept them in His hands until the perfect, proper time. There are any number of scriptures that tells us about God's being in complete control. And nearest, closest one is the book of Revelation, the 12th chapter. It says, The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that she might be nourished. All of this being said for one purpose, and that is that God is in control. He's in control of your life. He's in control of my life. He's in control of what we are going through. And if ever there needs to be a, a time where we rely upon that, I believe it's today. We live in a society that seems to be falling out of control. I don't know if that's your life or not. I, I don't. I do know that I have that sense. I mean, it seems like things are just spiraling. What's, what's going on? And then I come to my senses when I study and read things like this, and I realize, oh, God, you're complete control. You completely love me. You completely care for me. You are completely in control of all things. Nothing has gotten out of your control. And I come back to my senses, and I'm, I'm good for, oh, four or five minutes. You know, have you ever felt that way? And then four or five minutes later, I've got to come back and say, Lord, there I am again. I, I feel like it's out of control. And I, I, I know you tell me you are, but it sure doesn't look like it to me. And so then, for, therefore, I go to him by faith. And that's what it always, always boils down to, faith. I go to him and say, Lord, I don't see it. I don't understand it. But I believe your word. I believe who you are. 
And I will trust in your truth that you're in control. And I'm going to trust that you love me. And I'm going to trust that that you'll cause all things to work together for for your good to those of us who love you and for those of us who are called according to your purpose. Father, I want to be that. I want you to change me from the inside out. I want to be that man. It's the one that Anthony was talking about before he started to sing when he was explaining that he wanted to wanted to be consumed by that fire of God. More than anything else on the face of this earth, I want to live as long as the Lord will allow me to live to, to challenge you to become that type of person. Young or old, male or female, I would love for this church, the Rock Community Church, to be consumed by people who absolutely adore the Lord our God, and His Word, that we will be like that church in Philadelphia that we studied about in the third and fourth, second and third chapter of... uh, I always forget which chapter. Third. That we would be like the church in Philadelphia. That we would be a church that would not deny His name and that we would cling to His Word, the Bible that we study, so that it can do its work in your life and my life so that it can make you and me become new creatures. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, did I already say this? I might have just said this in the last service, not here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says that, the, did I say it already here? I did. I'll be darned. Getting old. Got away from my notes. That's what I did. But it says that we are, we are decaying. Old, the outer man. This guy right here is getting old. But the inner man is being renewed. I want that for all of us. I love you guys more than I can tell you. I don't even know why. I have no idea why I love you so much. But I, I, I vow to you I love you more than life itself. I thank you for being here. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for today. It's hard to study things like this, Father, that just seem to be so, so evil. Um, just a third of, of people on this earth are going to be wiped out for no particular reason other than people are just evil. Demons will, will roam this earth and kill people. And, and even those who don't die of the plagues, they'll kill one another and they will not repent. Father, it's a, it's a terrible time. Thank you that you promise that we will not have to live through that. But Father, there are those that we know that if you were to come back soon, there are those that we know that might have to. And we're troubled for them, Father. We want them not to to be lost. Not to have their hearts hardened such a way that they shake their fist at you rather than to give you their hearts. And so, Father, may we be a light to these people. May we be salt so they might see your goodness through our lives. By the grace of God, may that happen, Father, for every single one of us. May we experience the, one of the greatest blessings on the face of this earth, and that is to be your ambassador, to represent you somehow, some way to those who do not know you. Even maybe 
it can happen today. You would bring someone into our path that we might impact for the cause of Jesus Christ. That would be our privilege, Father. Now bless us as we go, wherever it is you might take us, and bring us back safely next week, I pray, Father. And if we can make it next week for uh, Saturday for Louis Panino's um, memorial service, uh, may we come, as, as Jeff so beautifully reminded us, to honor his uh, dear family and also honor the, the very heritage that he brought to this church, just a real staple of a man. Love him, miss him, I'm very jealous of him. <laughs> Father, he's in a great place. Bless us all as we go, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. I love you all so much. Have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you so much.